As we continue our study in 2 Corinthians, uh, today we are on chapter 5. In chapter 5, the beginning portion of it is um, actually a continuation of Paul's thought in chapter 4, verse 16, and all the way to today's uh, passage with 510. Uh, it is about future and about hope. And as the title of the sermon suggests, something to do with life after death. But before we delve into the text, I, I think it's important for us to demythize, debunk some of the misconceptions, including many Koreans, uh, many Christians have uh, about life after death. Here's, I would say, about common myth, uh, four common myths about life after death. After death. Number one is uh, eternal life with God is a bodiless spiritual life in heaven. This has to, has to do with the influence from the media. Uh, and movies, and oftentimes the heaven and uh, going to heaven is portrayed like a in the midst of cloud, and people, you know, kind of float with uh, maybe <laughs> wings <laughs> and white robes, suggesting that the body is no more, and that all that is important is spirit. And today's passage hints that, and that other passages make it so blatantly clear that our salvation includes our body. Um, <clears throat> when we are saved we're born again because our dead spirit is regenerated. Let's call it a, a resurrection of our spirit. And the new heavens and new earth comes, we will actually have um, not in the spirit realm, but resurrected creation Renewed heavens and earth will be the place for our eternity. We will reign with Christ. We will have bodies. In between, when saints and Christian believers die and go to heaven, and that's, it's, it's called an intermediate state, bodiless state. But this is not the end of the eternity. Uh, myth number two kind of points to that direction as well, that Christian hope beyond the grave is that our spirit will be saved from death because our body is not important. And Greek philosophy, even in, in the New Testament era, when Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, is has the same issue. The Greek philosophy said, the body is bad and spirit is eternal. So the freedom 
and salvation is being free from this cumbersome body. And today's passage will point that to the opposite direction. Paul's certain hope beyond the grave is having body. Not different, not, not the same kind of body that resuscitated from the death, deadness of our state, but in the newness of form. We could anticipate what that means. Myth number three and four is similar in that sense. Um, It's about death being, not being. Um, The misconception about death being the final ultimatum of life, the end of life. Rather than that, the, point, the Apostle Paul, in this passage and other, other passages, New, New Testament passages, make it clear that death is actually not the end. The ultimate answer that we need to give is actually the judgment of God. So myth number three goes like this. After physical death, we only Christians, I'm sorry, only, I meant to say, only believe, unbelievers will stand before, or we could say Christians will not have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is one of the most common uh, misconceptions of today's Christian world because each uh, era has uh, tendency to tilt toward to the one side or the other. One, one obviously is a legalism, salvation by works. So when you go to church and there's a much emphasis on keeping the law and making sure you follow through all, this, all those rules. And early 90s happened to be, uh, early 1900s happens to be that, that way. But today's world is a hyper grace that as if Confession of our lips that Jesus is Lord and that salvation is a free ticket to heaven, a free ticket to everything that we would enjoy in the, in the future. So what we do we really in our body in the meantime doesn't really matter because no one can achieve the perfect state. These are half truth. Do you realize that? Because of that, it's, it's a myth. Number four myth is that similarly, it doesn't matter how you live as a Christ follower because you will be saved only by grace because of Christ. Today's passage will um, point a picture is solidly biblically grounded. And Paul's thought this aching heart from a pastor is actually somewhat uh, unfashionable in today's world. And somewhat uh, almost sound like not a common idea 
But this is the central message of the gospel. In order for us to look at this in the uh, in context, we need to go back in chapter fourteen, chapter four, verse fifteen, to all the way to today's passage as a one line of thought. Of Paul writes, Paul writes about hope in the midst of suffering of afflictions that he's going through. His body as a clay jar experience. Verse 16 of chapter 4, he writes this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, un- that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then, verse 1 of chapter 5 says, For we know, because we know, why is it important to focus on the things that are unseen, that are eternal, not on the things that are seen, that are transient? Because we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting on it, putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. The first uh, answer to what does it mean to have hope beyond the grave in Christ is this. It means that our salvation in Christ is not yet fully completed without the resurrection of our body. Hence, we groan until our physical death to be with the Lord. Look at these metaphors and how Apostle Paul is using to contrast the stark difference between the two. Uh, Our body now is being called and referred to as tent. Tent has a temporariness. And if, if, if you experience any kind of camping experience, um, when it's too windy, it could fly away. When it's too cold, it doesn't protect warm uh, f- from the coldness of the weather that much. You need a thick, one of those uh, really super thick uh, sleeping bag. Tent is not enough. And the tent is wasted away. 
Apostle calls, Paul calls our earthly home, the tent, our body right now, is like that. When earthly home is destroyed, meaning that when we die, put away with, and we have a building, not a tent, building has permanence, stability. And then to make sure Paul makes it even more clear in, in, in the description, he writes, a house not made with hands, which is eternal. So in the one, on, on one hand, the tent is transient mortal body, but the resurrection body is uh, eternal and immortal. The last uh, message on chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 16 to the, the rest of the chapter, you remember the key to not losing heart? In Paul's case, the certainty of a future hope affected him deeply. When the word of God confronts us, we need to be still open and submissive in such a way that the word of God disturbs our current state, our perception, our perspective. This is what I mean. Christianity in our world, today's world, If it's popular, in most of cases, because Christ can make your life full on earth and you could experience the best life, your best life now. You could experience breakthroughs in your career. You could experience health in your family members, healing from severe diseases like cancer. Then you could experience power and confidence that you become more triumphant every day and you become successful in your career. Really look at this passage. Aren't we disturbed? Because all that matters, it feels like, in today's world. Maybe next month and next six, six months or year. It will be great that my faith will be such a full of joy if I experience such and such. When the little inconvenience comes, and discomfort comes, and blockage comes, affliction comes, we're surprised as if, what did I do wrong? That's a non-Christian's point of view, always. 
Because his or her view of the righteousness is very horizontal, in other words, relative. Like, I, I haven't done such and such of like a criminals like that. What did I do so wrong to have this cancer? But Christians are being sucked into that. They said, what's going on if God really loves me? Are we being perplexed? I, I, I'm not speaking from ivory tower and theological realm that expounding these great truths that I hope every one of you will embrace. I'm, I'm one of those people who are struggling. Without getting into too much, my discomfort right now is my in-laws moved into our house. I have no control. I have compassion for Kate and my in-laws too, but I just... We don't have an extra bedroom. Our kids are living, sleeping in the living room right now. Lord, if you are abundant God, you could provide a place. Watch this. Paul's hope and certainty of future was so real that it affected his emotional state today. He uses words like, we do not lose heart. We are of all, always of good courage, full of confidence, courage. At the end of the day, this is really the matter of faith, isn't it? Do we believe today's world is reality? Or do we believe what the scripture says of what's, what's, what is to come for eternity is true reality. And it is so uh, elusive, and especially living in Orange County in Southern California and bigger houses and nice, nicer cars and good schools seem all that matters. We as a Christians need to wake up to look at the reality as it is from written by the scripture of God. And we're at the fork of the road. We cannot half-heartedly believe one thing. Either we are either to believe and commit to that. Now, otherwise, we're playing mental game here, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, if what is to come is so good that it is a building that is not destructible, that it is immortal in eternity, that our state of our, our salvation is consummate. Do you realize that? The Greek philosophy, once again, spirit is good and body is bad. So your body is gone to the grave. Oh, what does that matter? I don't need a body. And the spirit is saved and that's all that matters. Scripture teaches very different life after death. 
which is our salvation is holistic. Our, our body and our spirit and soul are all redeemed and saved. When we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, our spirit is regenerated, renewed, and saved. But our, our outer self, the old, the body, the first creation that we live in right now, is not yet saved. The resurrection of the believers will be the consummated salvation plan of sovereign Lord. That's why our eternal life is not somewhere in the cloud and uh, bodiless spirit life. It is going to be new heavens and new earth living in the new body with Christ forever and then ever. In the meantime, Paul says, we groan. And groaning here is, has two meanings. And obviously groaning for what, what is to come. Hopeful longing. Do you ever think about that? I, 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 you know, it's hard if we are too attached to the earthly things. It's hard to groan for hopeful longing. But if you have been, if you have seen Christians who are, who have been suffering for chronic disease for a long time with the pain, they groan. Johnny Erickson, who was paralyzed ever since he was 15, 16 years old, she groans and groans you know, in such a hopeful way. She cannot even move anything. She, she paints with his, her, her teeth, biting on, on the uh, brush. But she had, the day will come. My body will be able to be do anything. Maybe I could even fly. And then my brother, who has speech impediment and is half paralyzed on the right side, shares a similar hope, longing, and groaning. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our eternal home is with the Lord. There's a, another kind of groaning, the groaning of suffering. Apostle Paul mentions the reason why he's sharing his hope is because of reality of harsh reality of affliction. That I could relate a little bit better than the first one. Okay, you know. <clears throat> um, for those of you who are over 50, maybe even mid 40s, start feeling uh, every morning I groan <laughs> coming out of bed. <laughs> why is 
why it, it, it kind of my younger days when you know my grandma used to say body's heavy so what does that mean you're you're the same same weight you know but i literally knows what it what that means now i'm dragging my feet and we groan for all kinds of uh pain in in our lives when you when your son when your daughter is going through difficult time because of whether developmental uh issues or friendship issues or something happened to their health we groan obviously number 2 uh meaning uh, before that these are just not one passage uh the bible speaks to that uh the truth in a very comprehensive way and these are the verses that comes to my mind in romans 8 verse 22 to 23 apostle paul writes for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies in 2 Corinthians 4:16 and 17 the beginning of this hope chapter hope passage he writes we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison number 2 meaning of hope beyond the gra- grave in christ is this we will receive an e- e- immortal resurrection body until then we walk by faith not by sight with a spirit given to guarantee it verse 4 uh, the the latter part beginning with that not that we should be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life he who has prepared us for this very thing is god who has given us the spirit as a guarantee so we are always of a good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord for we walk by faith not by sight the resurrection body offers us a just great hope and better hope and the pauls asking himself for us how do we know this for sure and he said god has given us the holy spirit as a guarantee so root word of that guarantee 
probably have a better meaning for a down payment, a deposit. What, what does it mean then? A down payment is that we don't have the full thing yet. Uh, down payment implies that it is a just definite promise. That's why the word guarantee fits in here as well. But right now we are in not yet state. Already down payment, salvation has given, been given, but not yet fully, fully consummated. So how do we know we get the resurrection body, immortal body, made not by hand, but by God? We don't exactly know what that body really looks like. The only reference we have is the body of Jesus after the resurrection. Somehow he was able to eat and drink but at the same time, he was able to uh, pass through the closed locked door. Somehow he was recognizable, but then yet his body seems to be somewhat different in some sense. We know that this body will be eternal body. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we could walk by faith, not by sight. And that kind of relates to what, what he has said already in chapter 4, right? Things that are seen are transient, temporary things. But things that are unseen is eternal. So what is faith? Believing the unseen that are not yet fully consummated by faith. Spiritual eye is faith. So to live in today's world with just a materialistic world, we need that spiritual eye. Not a compromised religious eye that God becomes a means to an end, but God becomes ultimate goal and end of life. And then in light of that supreme goal, the things that are valued in this earth, around our neighbor, fame and wealth and affluence and comfort, all those things are putting into the right perspective. That's what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. Let me regurgitate some of my meditation for you. Are you experiencing financial difficulty in your life? Walk by faith, not by sight. This is not all. Are you experiencing some major problem in your fine, uh, your family and relationship, brokenness and marriage? Walk by faith, not by sight. This is not, this doesn't define each one of us. 
Are you experiencing pain and literally just physical pain because of health and because of your loved one's uh, health reasons? Walk by faith, not by sight. Are you experiencing moral dilemma? Whether you, you would continually just keep your life of integrity at your career and your business. But if you, in so doing, you will lose so many customers or you will not be promoted in such a way that it helps the company and profit as an employee. Walk by faith, not by sight. Maybe we should corporately apply this. Do we see our future? Uh, if I really keep my perspective horizontally, I'm scared to death about what's going to happen next year because we don't have enough money as a church. We don't have enough source resources. We don't have what the church growth people call critical mass. So we need about double the size of this con congregation. We'll ha help the newcomers feel easier to slip in and slip out, and hence the growth happens. We must walk by faith. Our future is not depending on manipulation of our self-efforts and manipulation of our pragmatic ideas and human wisdom. In so doing, we are being tested. Our faith is being stretched. Number three, meaning, and once again, each have at least two verses that came to my mind. I do need to share that. I continually, uh, this will be a good reminder for us. Hebrews 1, 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not in the popular definition of what's going on. Faith is believing God's promise positively that he will make things happen for you right here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Maybe not seen in a sense that even after end of life, I mean, until the end of life, you may not see the result of that. Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 24 to 26. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For we, who hopes for what, is, what, he, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. 
The Holy Spirit has not only given to us, not only as guarantee and down payment deposit, but as an intercessor. Oh, isn't that comforting? Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Number three meaning of hope beyond the grave. It means that whether at home or away from the body, We ought to make it our way, aim to please the Lord. In so doing, we are of good courage. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Do you remember um, Paul's condition, current condition, if he had a walk by faith, he would be discouraged and he would be knocked out. But and yet, the reality of affliction in his life Knocked him down several times, but he was never been knocked down. He reiterates here his confidence, his conviction and hope that provides him with confidence and courage. For chapter 4, 16, and 5, 6, that he says yes one more time for all believers, including us. And once again, let's to let the word of God disturb us a little bit. He says, we would rather be away from the body, literally, you'd rather die to be with the Lord, at home with the Lord, rather than keep on living. Does it take a special kind of person to feel like that. Apostle Paul's conviction is actually for all believers, like including you and me. For us to really believe, we need to be able to say, our faith will enable us to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because what is to come, the eternal hope of resurrection body with the Lord is far better. But most of us are too attached to the earthly things, as if this is it. It, it's, it becomes a, like a functional atheistic perspective. In other words, functioning as a believer, but in our mind, maybe that's a make-believe, wishful thinking. Brothers and sisters, if we really believe the future reality, and it will change 
our priority of present life. The ultimate priority will become to please him, please the Lord. Things are so close and similar to each other, can be very, very different from each other, miles away different. What is that? I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trusting the Lord. I'm praying every day, reading the Bible, and doing good work, serving at church, so that God could provide these things. Sin very close. But at the end of that is our aim is to please ourselves. If we fine-tune it, if we trust the Lord and please the Lord as the ultimate priority of our lives, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does that mean then? If we please the Lord in every aspect of our our why we do what we do is focus on that, we will actually experience the very thing that we were looking for, for our deep satisfaction. That's the paradoxical truth. Do you believe it? To make it our aim, life aim, to please the Lord will bring us to the deepest satisfaction and joy. And Paul is at that. Two verses that came to my mind for that, that point is Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. I already alluded to that. Paul writes, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Galatians 1.10, and because of this is, Paul's expose about the nature of his ministry, the pastors like me today's world need to heed to that. But not only the pastors or full-time ministers, but every Christian who desire to please the Lord and focus on aiming to, to please the Lord need to see this as an example to follow. Verse 10 of Galatians 1 for I am seeking, now seeking the approval of men or of God. Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Fourth and last, uh, the meaning of having hope beyond the grave in Christ is this. Each of us will be judged by Christ according to our deeds in the body. Hence, we will live. How, we'll, 
how we live until then matters. Rather than the myth that we just read in the beginning of the message, that because of we are saved by grace and grace alone, and in Christ alone, how we live our lives really doesn't make any difference. That's why the modern-day Christians live their Christian life without intention to be holy, with intention to be, to be radically different, to participate in things of God, to be missional, to be salt and light, to please the Lord. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is actually climax of Paul's hope. As I mentioned before in the beginning of the message, the problem of the, the one thing that we should be most mindful whether you're a Christian or not, is not death. Of course, everybody answers need to the answer to physical death. But if the physical death is end of it, for example, the atheistic naturalistic people that naturalist will say there's nothing beyond, there's no life after death. That's so vain. Life. How do you find meaning in life? Everything you do. Because at the end of that, there will be nothing anyway. But, at least, if that's the end, you don't really have to worry about it. But there will be judgment, Scripture says. And notice this. Not everyone, every Christian, aims to please the Lord, but everyone must appear before the judgment of judgment seat of God Christ okay at this juncture if you look at typical commentaries most uh, conservative evangelical commentaries will say this this judgment seat of Christ is for Christians and the white throne in the revelation will be the non-christian God so this has nothing to do with the salvation. Yes, eventually that is true. But there is a double meaning, double focus on this. We should not get away with the ideas that our each one of us will give an account before Christ according to our works. Well, I thought we are not saved by works. Yes, it is true. But it, it is not based on our works but it is according to works. What does that mean then, Paul? I believe the passage is talking about the works of faith is validity of our saving faith, not the works of the law. In other words, we're not trying to be saved by works, but if our faith is real and alive, it will have a appropriate works. That's why Matthew 25, verse 32, many will say, 
that on that day, Lord, Lord, have we, have we not done this miracles for you? I do not know you, you evildoers. Verse 32, before the Lord will be gathered all nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. How about Romans 14.10? For we, all, we will all stand before the judgment, of, judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, Paul's writing to Christians, will give an account himself to God. So the first thing is that whether our faith is real faith or just a mental confession of, it will be shown. Let me uh, reiterate, reiterate what I just said. We are not saved by works. We're saved by grace alone. But our through faith, but our faith will have fruits of real faith, which, which are the appropriate works. Second purpose of that uh, judgment is each believer is rewarded by the Lord or not. And how we will be rewarded. And one of the commentators said, on that day, the heroes at Hebrews chapter 11, along with Moses and Abraham, modern-day nameless Christians will be named in that with crowns of his reward. To simply put, don't waste your life. Every day and every year, how we live our life matters. Don't believe in the hyper grace that it really doesn't matter what you do. Don't do it for the work of salvation. There will be legalism. But do it to please the Lord that the real reward will be real and tangible rather than being saved shamefully from the lake of fire. I close with a couple of uh, uh, quotes. One is from A.W. Tozer and the other one is Charles Spurgeon. And two are very similar in the same direction. How will we be judged is the question that I am addressing here. A.W. Tozer writes, poignant wisdom, before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will not be judged by how much I have done, but by how much of me there is in it. Because he judges the secrets of our intention and, and motives. It is utterly important that we don't do the external service with wrong motives or ulterior motives or even hidden motives. Charles Spurgeon, right? 
you remember the old legend which contains a great truth. There was a brother who preached very mightily and who had won many souls to Christ. And it was revealed to him one night in a dream that in heaven he would have no reward for all he had done. He asked to whom the reward should go, would go. And the angel told, told him, it would go to an old man who used to sit on the pulpit stairs and pray for him. Well, it may be so, but both would most likely share their master's praise. We shall not be rewarded, however, simply according to our apparent success. So I hope as much as this message disturbs you, that this passage disturbs you, I hope it encouraged you as well. I hope that Holy Spirit will tug your heart to pleasing the Lord, the desire to look for the future in such a way that it will impact the way you live your life, the way you feel things in currents, afflictions and sufferings as you grow. And the same goes for our church as we look forward to the uh, coming year. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes, we are disturbed in, in a way that our modern mindset of mind, uh, culture, is shifted quite a bit. But we are also truly grateful that you point to the right direction, you change our perspective, that we may be, see, be able to see the things that we ought to see, the unseen things. And teach us to find joy in pleasing you. And teach us to have this courage and conviction and confidence that Paul had in our everyday life, in spite of we face groaning as well. May, may your spirit give us encouragement throughout the day in the coming week. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.